before we dive into this episode, let me tell you a little something about our local synth shop here in Seattle, Patchworks. One, they have a new and improved website at p-a-t-c-h-w-e-r-k-s dot com. They're also having a customer appreciation sale, 10% off most items using the code THANKYOU2020 through the end of May. Lots of new products from Electron, Novation, WMD, 4MS, Moog, as well as restocks from major brands like IntelliGel and Mutable Instruments. And I know what you're thinking. It can't get any better than that. Well, hold on to your britches. Um, Fast and free shipping to all U.S. addresses. And they're open for curbside pickup daily from 12 to 6 p.m. Except holidays. So uh, if you're in the Seattle area, why don't you go down for that curbside pickup and have a nice, responsible, socially distanced conversation with Tom or Cindy. They're two of my favorite people here in the city. So, uh, yeah, get some socialization and some synthesizer stuff. Head over to patchworks.com, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. Thank you, 2020, at checkout for 10% off most items. And now a message from old co-host Ian. Hello, my name is Ian. You may know me as the co-host of the early days of the Podular Modcast. Now, before that... My passion was Bonkers, a club night in Seattle focused on spotlighting the wildest electronic music we could find. Rebar, the venue we called home for eight years, had to shut their doors due to financial distress during this time of COVID. Rebar has been the paragon of wild events and radical love in this city since opening their doors in 1990. There is no other venue like Rebar. We are throwing a festival of live, all-original electronic music from the Outer Realms on Friday, May 22nd, from 7 p.m. to midnight Pacific Standard Time. A telethon to benefit our friends. We have a lot of great artists involved, including Wisp, the brain dance legend from Reflex Records, Martin Rodriguez, an electroacoustic luminary from Montreal, the Bonkers family, a collection of brazenly original electronic artists from the Pacific Northwest, and even the host of this podcast, Tim Held, will be joining us. While you're locked in your house, we want to bring the party to you. Bonkers has been dedicated to supporting the most unorthodox and unique electronic artists from our corner of the world. So, Friday, May 22nd, 7 p.m. Pacific, go to twitch.tv slash bonkersseattle to stream the event, or if you want more info, go to bonkers.podularmodcast.com. Keep exploring and Thank you from your friends at the Podular Modcast. This week's episode is also brought to you by Needham Woodworks, After Later Audio's Heritage Line, and folks such as yourself. If you would like to keep the LEDs blinking over here at PodMod, head to patreon.com forward slash Podular Modcast. I tell you what, I made communion with an ice cold river last weekend while camping. I fully submerged myself into the runoff from the mountains, and it was really, really cold. But it was also uh, a borderline religious experience. 
I stared into the eyes of God. I'm just kidding. It was really nice, though. Um, if you go full submersion, it's hard to do. It's hard to do that first, that first plunge, but once you're in, the threshold has been crossed, and you're free to explore all the cool little areas in the river surrounding your campsite. So, if you have access to a river, and you're all cooped up in your house or your apartment, I highly suggest you go out and find your own little safe, secluded spot and spend some time in nature because uh, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very nurturing. Um, that's enough hippie shit for this episode. What you are listening to right now is music that I made with my friend Stephanie's synthesizer, a Nord Lead 2. I recorded it all in a day, a bunch of stereo tracks, and I decided to release it as an album, so it's there on Bandcamp. I also uploaded all the tracks to Dropbox so uh, we can collaborate. Because they're just stereo tracks, there's not a lot to them. They're ripe for collaboration. Do you want to add to them? Do you want to sample them? You can do whatever you want with them. And the link to the folder containing those files is uh, in the show description. So uh, I'd love to hear what you do with them. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast. How are you faring, my dear friends? I hope you're staying sane and safe. Um, yeah, doing my best over here. It's getting weird. It's definitely getting weird. Uh, this week we have Michael Stein of Survive and uh, Stranger Things composer on the show. Um, we have a really great discussion about where he grew up and his musical influences and how he got to where he's at today. We're both brothers in Needham Woodworks. Did I mention that? We both have Needham Woodworks cases. So that's pretty cool. Um, and we're going to get into that chat in a moment. But first, I want to cover a few things with you. So as I've been mentioning, the Discord server for PodMod has been uh, really fun and a lot of people interacting and there's new people joining every day and there's a couple different channels and uh, one of those channels is the weekly patch challenge where you can take the patch challenge prompt from the show and do your own and submit it there and uh, somebody mentioned like, hey, why don't you do a bonus episode featuring the patch challenges? So if people get active enough and they're, they're posted often enough there, I'm thinking I'll do like twice a month, uh, maybe a little bonus episode to release on Friday uh, for the weekend to play your patch challenges. There's a few more channels. There's a music recommendation. So if you are listening to something that you want to, that you've been digging and you want to share, um, or if you want to share your own music on the music recommendations channel, I'm fine with that. Uh, there's a weekly episode discussion where you can, uh, you know, talk about what happens in the episode. Uh, yeah, so it's a lot of fun. There's a, there's a link in the show description and on my link tree on my Instagram bio. I also want to take a moment to remind everybody that I'm still available. I have some openings for uh, synth lessons via Skype. Um, it's been a little bit more, not so much uh, synth lessons, but a little bit more creative consultation and uh, looking at your system and, and helping you uh, figure out uh, what, what's working for you and what's not working for you and, and how to, to best utilize what you've got. It's been a lot of fun. So if you're interested in that, uh, hit me up at podmodcast at gmail.com or uh, on Instagram. And I feel like I'm forgetting something, but I'm going to wrap this intro up. It's kind of like when you go to the store, like you you know what you need in your head throughout the week, and then you go to the store, and, uh, and then you're like, what did I want again? That's why I need lists. There's list people out there. 
Um, I'm not a list person. I'm not anti-list. I just never think of it. I need to put that on the list of things to remember. Um, I guess I'll just leave you with this. I've been playing a lot of guitar through my modular lately, um, and uh, I've actually been writing and recording a lot of music, more than I have probably since I started the podcast. Um, And I think I've got like the outline of at least an EP, but maybe an album cooking up right now. Um, I'm really excited about some of the stuff I've done so far, and uh, I just want to play you a little snippet of a piece that I really like. It's really... I don't know, 1950s waltzy almost. I don't know what's going on, but I really like it. So I'm just going to play a little of this into our, uh, into our episode here. I hope you enjoy the discussion. Mike, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I just talked to Kyle the other day, and that was pretty cool. Oh, nice. Um, but uh, I want to, I want to hear your story. Like, and I always like to start with, like, as early as you can remember. When, like, <laughs> when did when did music grab you? And do you, do you remember what it was? Like, the 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 first song or artist that really got you, even as a little kid, um, that kind of led led to you becoming a professional musician so my journey to becoming a musician is it's mostly just for enjoying music um not really planning on making it um but i did get a drum kit in fifth grade so that was highly influenced by the rock music i was listening to like Mm -hmm. typical grunge is the 90s yeah um i think it's hard to say the first thing at really, I remember being at like the bad kid's house down the street when I was at like my cousin's lake, <laughs> lake house. And he was listening to like Metallica and Guns N' Roses, uh, uh-huh. Appetite for Destruction. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I'm trying to think like, honestly, the first CD I ever bought was like Ace of Bass, which is oh, funny. nice. And I had the Mortal Kombat soundtrack. <laughs> So I was really all over the place, you know. I had like a green jelly tape, um, and all my tapes were mostly like Bill Bibb DeBoe and like Criss Cross and New Edition kind of era stuff, mm-hmm. um, which I still really like. Oh, yeah. and I'll never forget how. Inf- okay, the f- most influential thing for me was probably Miami Bass. Miami because bass? I would always hear it at the rec center. Like okay. 69 Boys, uh-huh. like Tootsie Roll, and like all those tracks. <laughs> and I still make like electro to this day. Like when I just start making music, I just go straight to electro. And I'm like, oh, okay. I need to, and I have a folder of like, I'm just called Booty Bass. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I'm going to drop this like Miami Bass techno album someday <laughs> when I edit these tracks <laughs> oh that's awesome um it's funny how like for for you know, like no value judgment on whatever it is but like the stuff that grabs you when you're a little kid like you still love like there's some stuff that like i am trepidatious to even say out loud that i still legitimately like because it got me at such a young age 
you know, like Garth Brooks was my shit when I was in like third grade and I still like nice. actually, and as, as weird and cheesy as it all is, like, it's still like, <laughs> it still has a grab on like the center of my soul. You know, it's weird. That's a weird in thing. In elementary, to say about, yeah. I got a girlfriend a Garth Brooks CD. And I also remember going to a birthday party and getting this other friend like Mariah Carey. Yeah. And other just stuff back then. <laughs> My grandpa brought brought me to this store called uh Bymart, which was basically okay. like a little a Walmart um thing in, in Ellensburg, Washington. And he said he bought me two tapes and I got Paula Abdul. Um, Sick. and vanilla ice to the extreme straight up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was straight up and it was, uh, to the extreme. So those still got me. Nice. Too. I, uh, <laughs> I definitely had vanilla ice <laughs> and MC hammer. Yep. MC hammer was a big one. I remember going over to like this, there's this, I had this friend who his, they were kind of like, a in my eyes, the rich kids, but you know, I, I didn't realize I was a poor kid until I was like in my thirties. Um, but uh, they had Dude, they tag had, team. <laughs> tag team. Tag team was probably who who did tag team? I don't. That doesn't. That was probably really like one of my most influential things as a kid. <laughs> Why can I not remember? Oh, tag team was the group. Yeah, they did. You know, whoop. There it is. Oh yeah, yeah. No? The jo- jock <laughs> jams. That all just sounds like jock jams to me. I remember those commercials when I was a kid. Yeah, I think tag team was. I think that Wimp There It Is was in uh, Mighty Ducks. Yeah. Fuck. Two. I, we must be the exact same age. Did you graduate in 2002? <laughs> Three. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the same age, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, I remember We're the like rich... those on the cusp millennials. Uh, yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because you like the, the, the bad kids house down the street. That was my cousin. You know, like my cousin was kind of the best there and they were, uh, five and 10 years older than me. So like I was listening to, you know, Garth Brooks, but then I'd go over there and they had, you know, Metallica and Ozzy Osbourne and, and Guns N' Roses. So I'm like well-versed in Gen X music, but I'm not Gen X. Like, yeah, you know, just having those weird influences. This kid, um, Kenneth Norman was his name down the street. He put me in his mom's car in the garage and turned all the lights out and played Marilyn Manson and was like trying to intentionally like scare me, <laughs> like looking at me all like, and I was like, uh, and then like would jump at me and I'm like, okay, not, this isn't a scary experience, but <laughs> I just. <laughs> did, did, did you end up liking Marilyn Manson after that? I don't know. It wasn't really my thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think by that age, I was definitely more into like the alternative, like by the time he was getting big, I was way more into yeah. like alternative music. I never got into like Tool or Corn or a lot of the larger bands. Yeah. Like uh, there was another one. I just blanked on it. Limp Biscuit. I never got into Limp Biscuit. My friend, I had a friend who liked ICP. Oh, wow. I was wow. like, what is this? <laughs> um, and they would, it's like, it, ICP is like Big Lebowski or something. It's like, <laughs> they're just going to know every skit, every word, every yeah. joke. Yeah. <laughs> like, live it. Fucking fully live it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I never got into that. I never saw the appeal of that one. Um, where did you grow up? Um, outside of Dallas. I'm technically Dallas, but it was Carrollton. Okay. I went to, I, where Vanilla Ice is from. Oh, really? He went to my rival school, oh, R.L. Turner. I went to Newman Smith. Okay. I wonder, by the time, like, 
I bet that was not like a point of pride for kids our age then. Because well, he was pretty whack by the time we were... Yeah, uh, he was kind of disappeared. I still remember his comeback <laughs> where like he was doing rap rock. Yeah, yeah. And I just can't forget this like line <laughs> where he's like, open up the hood and let me change that oil. <laughs> and, and I see him outside of his car like on this music video. I'm like, this shit is awful. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to you? And he's like the only hometown hero we have. <laughs> Oh man, that's yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, so, so you you started playing drums then in fifth grade. Yeah, and then did you I, take that I, seriously? I, did you become a drummer? No, I started skating. Okay, <laughs> I um I I still have the kit. Swear to God, oh, in the really? other room, I still and I've started playing it again. Same drum kit. It was like a intro. Um, it was by Premiere, but it was called Olympic. Uh-huh. It was like their intro kit. So I've changed the hardware. And the heads and stuff, and it's fine. I'll record it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's good because I like help. I was like pretty good with timing, and I just didn't take it that seriously, so I never got amazing at it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sk- skating will take over. I, I was. I think I was. Well, one, I was. I was a pretty chubby kid. I was still into skating, but I was. I was a little too chubby and a little too. Uh, um, maybe not athletic enough to get good enough at skating for it to fully take over for, you know, take away from my musician side of my personality. But I also lived in like this town where there was nowhere to skate. Like the only place we could go is this Mormon church parking lot. So yeah, that would definitely, you know, influence how far you go. Do you still skate? Not so much. Um, I'm to be honest, every time I talk about going to the skate park, my wife reminds me that if I like broke my hand or something, that would not be good. Uh, yeah. And I'm like, that's, you're right, but I enjoy it so much. Uh, I got back into it last summer and, uh, yeah, my wife made me buy all the pads and the helmets. She was like, that's the deal. And I'm like, okay, so I'm, I'm the, I'm the, like the old nerd at the skate park with like every pad you can possibly get. But, um, the two days it's I fine. went out without them, I, I, I hurt myself like everywhere that I should have been wearing a pad. So <laughs> it's just, yeah, I'm a little it. more scared of like my life is a, my life sitting in this chair. That's my life now <laughs> composing. I don't know if there's like a way to stand up and work, but I don't know. I need to like, I need to do some yoga or something. <laughs> I'm in this. Like, hurt, I would hurt myself. Yeah. That, that was kind of, I, I need in order to get like cardio, you know, like exercise, I need to have fun. You know, I, I can't just do Same. it for the sake of doing it. So that's why I kind of got back. I'm not taking huge risks. I'm just like rolling into bowls and like carving bowls and stuff. And then, you know, riding a longboard around. It's, I'm, you know, yeah. low risk. I, I feel pretty comfortable that I'm, I'm not going to hurt myself too bad. But risks, um, risks is good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. So I guess when, when do you start like... What is there? What's the instrument that grabs you and you become? That's like okay, this is my thing. I'm I am this. I'm a guitarist. I'm a keyboardist. Whatever. So, I guess I kind of shelved, for the most part. I always had the drums around. There's there was like an auxiliary room, uh, game room or whatever at my parents' house. So there was the drums in there, but I was way more interested in skating and various stuff. Um, except I started experimenting with recording a lot more and just like field recording um 
just messing around with like my dad's effects units and his guitar and oh, just okay. enjoying like just finding sounds and recording them and then making compositions with that i got like i had like a little digital eight track and like a pa system and it didn't take long before i was like got some keyboard that said synthesizer on it <laughs> that was terrible it was a rolling but it was just like a keyboard uh-huh um so really there's it's it's not like i was playing an instrument it's just like i got into like sound um in my late teens and i eventually got you know i liked the keys and i started playing kind of finding my way around the keyboard i got like a S I got a microcorg and I was like, this isn't it. This isn't sound like the stuff I like. And then I got an SH-101 after doing more research. And I was like, okay, this is it. This sounds like Boards of Canada. Mm -hmm. This is sick. Um, so I was like, I like analog stuff. So I quickly went from just having the SH-101 to realizing that I wanted like all of them. <laughs> like I wanted like two voice and I wanted a mini Moog. And I wanted an MS-20 and I wanted all the classics, uh, after just diving, there wasn't a lot of research you could do. The only video on YouTube that was a synth video was like Moot, Matt Bax, Moot Buxel, who I guess, I think does demos still for like Sweetwater or one of the bigger companies. But he was just like shredding some Space Jam. It was like him playing a dot-com modular through a Space Echo. And he had posted that into the dot-com group. Okay. It was like, because there was like, not a lot of research, but somehow I led myself from just getting really into sound and like production and sound is, I wanted to like do sound design. So I started a dot com modular and started building MOTM synth, synth tech kits. Okay. So just every month that you'd get a new kit and just slowly start building your system that way. Yeah. Well, I, the, there was the module a month plan that I had with dot com. And then the kits, I would just get them when I could. I remember he did like a Christmas sale and I bought, I got my parents to buy him like eight kits. Oh, nice. And my mom was like, I can't believe we bought, paid for these things. Where are they? Your Christmas gift is like four months late. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> and I'd be like, he's just a dude. He's, he says he's in the room putting the little parts in bags. So it's not his, it's not his job. It's a hobby. So we shouldn't complain about how long it takes. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you had that perspective and, and good attitude well, about it. <laughs> That's what he, well, he verbally would say that in the, yeah. in the group. Yeah. And it's funny. It was all like Yahoo groups back then. <laughs> I was going to say, this sounds like it was just like with our age and, and, and when you were starting to do it, kind of like the budding Early era. Early 2000s. Yeah. Like the budding era of actual like forum groups. And, 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 and like you said, you couldn't do much research. You had to do a lot of legwork yeah. to find stuff back then. Yeah. There were no, there were no young adults in those groups. Everyone was like 40 plus except me and I didn't know anything. Yeah. And so did you have any older quiet. kids around town like that were into stuff who could kind of be your mentor on this or were you on your own with that? No, I just kind of I really liked like I was always just downloading music on Soulseek and Napster and whatever. Soulseek, I guess, cuz that's the one that survived. Um and just like finding like, I think I found out about, like, Tangerine Dream through this forum. Okay. Because people kept talking about uh, the the moderator of the dot-com forum was a huge Tangerine Dream fan. And, like, they would always talk about Berlin school-style sequencing and techniques and stuff. So, uh, I don't know. Just, like, music led me to wanting just doing that. And then I had a lot of friends that also enjoyed 
listening to music that we share music with. Okay. Um, yeah. Did you like have any like early, early bands or like recording projects with other people in your hometown or? I had my best friend Chase Rushing. We had a little project we did called Sure Okay. And it was basically like me learning how to use my synthesizer, uh-huh. make patches on. I would like, I'd make patches on it. Um, and then he'd come over on the weekend and I'd be like, check out this crazy thing and we'd make a couple sequences and then i'd edit those into an arrangement and then kind of start finishing out the songs and we'd post i'd post like one a week on myspace that was kind of it until survive okay um yeah a lot of my friends i remember so like kyle was in college during this time and he had come over for like christmas he came back to town Mm -hmm. he's like what have you been doing i was like i don't know i've just been making music weird enough because we were always sharing music too and he's like i've been making music too i was like oh cool well so we were like why don't we make some music together so did you you guys went to high school together then no we actually met through skating oh Um, okay yeah but we would we were hanging out a lot during high school and um then he went away to college um kyle was always he always played a little more like i think he played more or in college he was in some folk bands and stuff so he played banjo. It's funny, he actually, we were like, let's make some music. He brought his banjo down, because uh-huh. that was the instrument he had. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, I have this modular synth. <laughs> so, and I was like, I have this instrument interface, so we can run your banjo through the modular. <laughs> and like made some, pa- I don't know if I still have that recording, but. <laughs> That's awesome. It wasn't that long till, yeah. Um, my early recording, their songs are I mean, it's like, that's basically what happened. I went from like messing with stuff to recording bits and pieces of it. And then I would piece it together into arrangement, like songs, because I really liked music. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of it's just fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like this part into this part is just because I had two parts yeah. that I recorded at the yeah. same tempo <laughs> and stuff. And then I like would fully finish out the production like to where it was like a song and it's super committed, but... Super bizarre. <laughs> well, it sounds like a pretty good um, training grounds for, you know, like the kind of stuff yeah. that you guys do. So, Totally. The only thing I regret is I didn't have a, um, I didn't have a piano or really play any melodic instruments. I just had drumming. Mm-hmm. So when I got like my synths, I'd be like, woo, woo. <laughs> I'd be like trying to tune them and I couldn't hear beat frequencies. Uh-huh. I didn't really know what I was listening for. Uh-huh. So I was just always struggling like tuning especially in live situations like when i started playing with the band like to tune my synth to the others like it'd be like (laughs) but i could i could design sounds like i could find the sound the frequencies and hear them relative you know Mm -hmm. to like sonic characteristic like what the timbre was and like how i needed to tune things to make the sounds i needed yeah um and not to get too far ahead but is it when you guys formed survive was that um, I know you guys don't have like like defined roles so much in the band, but did you find that maybe that was kind of what you you brought to the table as in, as in the band? Like I I can do the the more because that's how I feel like with my really close friend who's really good with uh, music theory and stuff. What I can add to the stuff that we make together is a little bit more of the kind of soundscapey stuff because he's mm-hmm. he's light years ahead of me on music theory and, and writing melodies so it's just i found my niche when we work together is that yeah when i started i came i feel like people almost 
wanted to work with me because I'd be fairly creative when it came to adding to the writing, mm-hmm. but also I, I could mix and I could produce and I knew technically how to use everything. Like when I, if I had a friend who had like two synths, you just would play them by hand. I like had, you know, a room that like you have to look around and there's everything. <laughs> and there's like, I had an encore. So like I had eight channels of MIDI to CV already. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like using Pro Tools and just like selecting my synths in the room with like MIDI routers and like okay dropping them down and like be sequencing my room and like i had like a feature retro mobius so that i could send clocks uh synced from the npc or the computer out to the equipment and like din and like i was before i could really make music that well i already had like the studio worked uh-huh like in the midi was all, all that stuff so i would get calls a lot from my friends they'd be like what sense should i buy okay or like how do i how do i get this thing to talk to this thing okay or like um, so that was really good at the, for Survive, for sure. Um, yeah, so by the time you had this set up, was this college for you then? Was this by, were you in Austin by this point, or was this before, was this still in high school? Uh, this, this was like right out of high school. Okay. Um, I was just, I didn't go to like, I went to film school. Okay. But then I dropped out. Okay. So is that how you, then, so you moved to Austin then to basically do Survive, or... It sounds like a logical um, move for a creative person living in Texas to go to Austin. That's like, I'm in Seattle, but I'm not from Seattle, you know? Definitely. It's the spot to be. And so, I mean, this, the story goes pretty simple. Like, I was at home doing all that, and then I had started a studio in Dallas with some friends. Um, and then I would go to, because Kyle and I started talking about music, so I'd go to Austin, and he was living with Mark and Adam, who were the members of Survive, mm-hmm. and they had made, like, two songs already that were on the first EP, and I came down one weekend, and Kyle and I recorded this song called Holographic Landscape. And I remember we were like, well, I, Kyle had proposed the name Survive, and the whole household was like, I don't know. And then <laughs> I was like, I like the name Survive. So we put up Holographic Landscape as Survive. Uh-huh. And then it was like a thing. We were like a thing. And then eventually some of the other works that they had made, we put up there too. And eventually uh, we would, they would come to Dallas too and we'd record at the studio, which is where the song, some of our songs like Hourglass came from. Um, yeah, and then eventually I only did that for a year before like Survive became a pretty serious thing and we were actually, I was going to Austin, we were playing shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going down there to practice. We had a practice space. So we were becoming like a band, and they were like, hey, you got to move down here. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So I pa- I did. I ended the lease at the studio, and I moved to Austin, and um, basically just to like work on records. But luckily, my friends were opening a store called Switched On. Uh-huh. And since I was like a knowledgeable synth guy, and there were only a few of us back then, they asked me to work there. <laughs> okay, so that's yeah, that's that's what I was hoping to uh, clear up because there's a lot of there's a lot of Austin synth lore, and actually, I think for episode 
five or three of the podcast. Um, I was in Austin when I was first starting it and I reached out to switched on and Chad Allen was like, yeah, swing by. Nice. So Chad, awesome. Chad was one of my first guests and I was wondering, I, I thought I wasn't sure if one of you guys from survive owned it or worked there. I feel like that's kind of like what I heard back when all the, the, um, when stranger things one was coming out and there's, you know, like all the lore behind like, oh, the synth band yeah. from Austin. And so you worked there. I just, yeah, I just worked there since the beginning. Okay. Um, so I did some tech work there. I did repairs and helped sales and I, yeah. It was an impressive, I was like that, the repair shop in the back, I think it's moved since I've been there, but. Right. I was blown, like the, it's a cool little storefront, but then you walk back and it's like this warehouse of synths and. Oh yeah. It was pretty crazy. That's so daunt. Every, I would, I'd get through my queue and I'd be like, oh my God, I only have like 10 more broken things to fix. <laughs> so you guys. Be, that, and then I get it down to five uh, and then I'd come back in from the weekend and there'd be like. 30 more broken things. So it was kind of a place, like a destination, like known around the country, right? Like, because there's not mm -hmm. that many synths to fix in just Austin. So people were coming in from all over the place, right? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, because it predated all the, it predated like control voltage and per perfect circuit mm -hmm. and stuff. So this would have but been it, like, it, what, like 2009, it, 10, 11 ish? Or? Yeah. They opened in 2010. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah, it seems like um, Austin had, like, I mean, of course it's a big music town, but it seems like with Switched On, it, it's, it's, it almost rem it reminds me a little bit of what we have here with this store called Patchworks. It's like the synth shop yes. that cool. a whole scene has now coalesced around, you know, like all these different nights and different groups. And, you know, we're just all friends now because we had this hub. And, it's, and I just get the sense that Switched On was kind of like that for the synth scene that's down there. Yes, Switched On really was like a great place to, they helped out with, they threw events sometimes, but there was just a big community of artists that were already kind of friends, mm -hmm. and that kind of gave them a place to get equipment, or we put on a lot of shows. Um, Austin's great, because there was like so much crossover, like mm -hmm. in LA, there's like micro pockets of like... They'd be like, "Oh, those are the uh, those are this type of ambient crew." Uh, yeah. and you're like, "What? <laughs> oh, you those? That's a different kind of like niche, like experimental perf outlet." And I'm like, "That's crazy." Yeah. There's like pockets of that, and it's like, "Oh, these people don't don't really hang out with these people," uh, just because it's so big. But in Austin, it's like you might have like an o noise show opener for like a punk band, and then like just some electronic band on the roster, and it's like. You can have a very diverse show all the time. Yeah, that's awesome. That's 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 a little bit what we have here as far as, far as like the electronic scene. Like you could have like a modular on the spot with a it could open with harsh noise into ambient into like electro dreamy pop stuff, nice. which is which is cool because we you know like I f I feel like I've heard that about LA and I and I wonder how much that just has to do with how hard it is to fucking get around. You know, like do people do people form these po these these pockets like out of like proximity? <laughs> Like, okay, well, I'm in this group now because I don't want to drive for three hours to go 10 miles or whatever. It's got to be a little bit related. <laughs> yeah, because Austin's yeah. not that. I think Austin's probably close to the Seattle size. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's, I think like a big, a small big city is a great place for that kind of community. And I, I mean, I was down there for the, the first week of, um, 
of South by. So it wasn't when the music had started. So I didn't get like the full, I wanted, I'd like to go down there when it's not South by to get like the actual Austin experience. But I don't know. I just got a really, I, I fell in love with it, man. I really want to go back. I just got a really good vibe um, down there. Yeah. It's a good place. It's a good place. Dallas had its own little scene. Um, but it was, they had like a really strong electro scene for sure. Yeah. I didn't really find out about it though until later, like Cygnus and ERP mm-hmm. and um, the plas- plastic. Is it sleeves or man? I don't. <laughs> both. Those are both projects, but I'm trying to. <laughs> there were a lot of there were a lot of cool electro people. So I I'm really in- I talked with with uh, with Kyle about this, but I'm really intrigued by the idea of a synth band, and I just kind of want to mm. hear like. I, I'm just going to ask you kind of the same question because you're going to have different answers, I'm sure. But like, um, just like kind of tell me what synth band practice is like, <laughs> you know, because I've been in a lot of regular huh. bands, but like you show up and you bring a 12 pack of Rainier and <laughs> yeah, you, somebody buys the beer and um, it's in Texas. So you, you know, we didn't, we basically went from renting this small corrugated like sheet metal shacky mm-hmm. it was a storage space and a lot of bands practiced in these storage spaces but it's texas and it's the summer and it's not air conditioned so eventually we graduated from that to kyle's garage <laughs> which was also not air conditioned so it's like you're out there and you're like ah, you know in this <laughs> in this cube that's burning hot you have to close the door so because it's fucking loud um yeah we would just play out of amps very band like kind of mentality in that in that way um we'd write together in the studio mostly mm-hmm. um and then we'd kind of jam we would jam um as a band a lot at the practices we got some cool recordings like Tascam recordings or iphone recordings of that stuff um yeah i mean you you'd bring your sense and that was kind of like crazy i'd always be like everyone would like laugh at us when we go to play shows because we have so much shit you'd be like hauling around your like four by ten or whatever and then you'd come in with like your two or three cents <laughs> now something i didn't ask him because i know i i know you guys don't have like there's not like a specific percussion person or a specific baseline person so when you're playing live did you guys switch i know you had like different roles per song did you guys switch stations like like i don't know if you've seen tortoise play live but they're always just like trading spots and drum kits and shit we don't really switch spaces but like a lot one good way so there was always like the mpc right that mm-hmm. was the drum that played the drums and then then there was the clock so i would bring out the mobius was what i brought out for years because it had uh it, you could program gates and you could send out like an S-trig for Korg. So Kai always had his Monopoly, and he still uses that, and I would have the SH-101, which I still use. So I could program two different trigger patterns to those two arpeggiators, and typically one of us would play the bass line because it was synced mm-hmm. to the clock. So you just play the notes and have it trigger either the pattern or 16 and 8. Okay. And you just, so you would always be like pretty much in time. Um so really, it, who plays the bass line is, it kind of depends on whose synth we think will sound the best uh-huh. on that bass line, <laughs> most similar to the production of the record. Uh-huh. So um, 
and then like so the song floating cube um it has like it was an original odyssey it was made on mk1 so the lfo unless it's modded resets when you play the keys so it's like wow 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 it like it's kind of this rhythmic polyrhythmic lfo almost uh-huh. dubstepy so you have to have that effect if you want to get that sound so mark's always either played it on an odyssey live and then when that broke he switched he had an sh5 which also has the key re-triggered thing so he still plays bass on that song and then i play bass on like holograph or a handful of other songs omniverse and hourglass and we kind of get those out of the way and then kyle plays bass the rest of the set okay so we'll tell the sound guy like okay the first three songs it's going to jump around but then you can like really hone in on the bass because it's going to be this bottom synth okay every time okay um so do you guys like and then you guys like found like a pretty good like um workflow then like over the years like do you kind of adhere to that or do you like switch that up per every time you make a new record or a new set list um we kind of have the way we we do it like tip like mark plays leads a lot of the time he's he's got he's pretty like virtuosic mm-hmm. and just likes to like like whale mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so we're just like he we just let him do whatever he wants like on the songs he'll play the leads like for the most part the way they are on the record but he'll add a bunch of stuff um so we kind of like know as far as that goes the only time it's more difficult is when is like the more ambient songs Mm -hmm. or the ones that are like kind of more long form and just less structured those can be more difficult to figure out uh or they're just too minimal and not enough things are happening over a lot of time and there's four dudes with like 13 cents on stage (laughs) so like nobody really wants to stand around and just like i've seen some i've seen like Adam drink like eight beers in a show or something. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't need to have too much downtime. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> um, oh man. So I'm, so you guys, so you're working at switched on, you guys are doing survive. Are you guys touring and stuff before stranger things? Or are you guys kind of just like sticking around the local area and like just driving around Texas really? Okay. Um, just, just to meet up when friends request it. Like we've gone to new Orleans. We've, um, to play with pressures. Oh, Disco um, Obscura. Um, yeah. Yeah, Joey. Joey, I, I was out there. I did a live podcast out there at Disco Obscura. Nice. Yeah, Joey is awesome. Um, so we basically like that crew, Dallas and friends. Uh, someone would ask us to play, and we'd go. It. We eventually made it out across the country um, for an album release. I think it was. We had definitely done it one or two times before stranger things happened okay yeah i guess i was just trying to get the scale of like what you guys were doing because it feels like that was a pretty big shift in in your guys's life i mean obviously it was a huge change in your life when that happened and i'm like i was asking kyle and he said he doesn't really know but how exactly did the duffer brothers find you guys I know they did. They did the cut. They did like that cut with one of your tracks. But how did they get your track? Were they a fan, or were they just kind of like, how did that happen? So we don't know. <laughs> There's a theory that maybe, um, maybe Dan Cohen, one of the executive producers, was like turned them on to us, but probably not. They think they'd heard of us already. They were like, I think we just found you on Spotify. I'm like, well, that's. 
<laughs> there's some pretty like smart playlists, genius play algorithms out there that maybe led you to us. But I, I just don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's really it's a uh, it's. I was just I was talking to my wife about it the other day, and it's just like it's such a crazy thing because like. What what you guys had for taste and sound for what you were looking for gear wise, and then what you what you guys created together, like this whole thing that mounted for years, that you hadn't like you weren't trying to get, you know, a, a, this Netflix show, but every decision you guys made along the way is why that, and it's just like this weird kind of like like trippy sci-fi thing I was thinking about, like I don't know, it's just like everything laid out perfectly and, and, and it just like happened in this, like it's a, it's kind of an amazing story. And I, I love that there's some mystery to like exactly how it happened. And, you know, it's kind of like, you don't, you don't hear this kind of story often. So. No. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm like super thankful that we were able to do that show and it was crazy. It was, if it was someone else, then I'd probably hear from David, like, man, you should have done that show. I'd be like, I know. <laughs> I'd probably, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> there were a handful of synth people, um, bands at the time, artists. I know the Duffers talked to some other artists, but yeah. Well, I yeah. Um, and I appreciate, I, I know you guys have answered questions about this and it probably gets pretty annoying talking about this stuff so much. So I, I appreciate you letting me ask about it. Um, but like that's part of something I talked about with Kyle's like, like yeah, like a really cool aspect. It changed your life and everything. But it also like he was saying like he kind of like it made things kind of weird socially for a little bit for him. And I'm I just wanted to like like it like it's to to have the kind of like I hate to use the word like overnight success, but to have kind of like this huge explosion of success. Like you guys were, it seemed like it, it wasn't a ramp up. It was like you guys were doing your thing and then boom. You know, and like, I'm just like, I'm, I'm fascinated with kind of like the social and psychological aspect of that, you know, like, yeah, I mean, so when it was, when we were working on it, I definitely didn't want to like tout about that I was doing this thing. So mm -hmm. I, we kind of just kept it between us until it was a reality. And then the show came out and then you really couldn't hide it anymore, mm -hmm. especially because so many people for press were hitting us up. And they were just like, who are these people? Everyone is enjoying the music and talking about it, so we want to interview them. So then there's just this outlet of, you know, press. And in Austin, though, it's already a small, it's almost like a small town. Mm -hmm. So you're going to not, like, know everyone's business, but, like, you will know, like, if somebody's doing something cool or attached to it. Like, I remember... Even like the indie bands there that like had caught some success, you'd be like, "Oh, cool! They're so and so mm -hmm. from blah blah blah." Yeah, and so I don't know. And it's a part of the the culture and the pride. So people are proud that like you're from Austin and mm -hmm. that you did this thing because that helped that represents you and that represents the music community and this music like capital of the nation. So you have all this pride. So I. I don't know if I'm sure there was some kind of weirdness. Um, yeah, I feel I but, feel like I set you up. I'm not trying to like fish for drama or put you on the spot. I'm just like I I kind of think about like if it was me in that situation. I told I told Kyle this, but I'm like geared towards like the anxiety, you know, like anxious, like oh I don't want to fuck anything up. And I feel like I feel like 
I don't know. Like, did you feel immense pressure once it started happening, especially when you guys get green lighted for a second and third season? Like, you know, that never really, that was never a huge issue. I never felt a whole lot of pressure or anxiety about performing well the next time. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but as far as like weirdness goes, I would get kind of sick of just, you know, not sick, but I would go, I'm not, I wouldn't, I go out, I would go out a lot there. I don't really, I'm pretty isolated in LA, honestly, but mm-hmm. I would always get asked the same questions. I'd always yeah. get asked what I was doing, if I was working on the show, how things are going, and like just a lot of the same questions. So I'd just be like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you just didn't really want to talk about the, there was, you know, as we talked, the show was like such a thing for so long that anyone who hadn't seen you in a while like started talking to you about it. Yeah. So yeah, I could, un- I could that, imagine. But I never felt like eyes on me type or like awkwardness necessarily. That's Plus good. it's great because you're behind the scenes as a composer. You're not like, it's not like I'm some face or some, I don't see it as like a fame type of role like that, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that being amped up, especially in the t- in in Austin, because like like you said, it's small. It's town. more amped up in Austin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it's great in L.A. because there's just you see someone every day in your neighborhood. You're like, oh my god, yeah, that's perfect. There's like that person that does that cool shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they're just minding their own business. Well, I think you know, you in this sense, you're lucky that you like you're behind the scenes as a composer, but at the same time, like. I can't think of an, a sh- like a, a show in recent memory where maybe, maybe because I was, you know, I'm in the synth world, so it was louder here. But I mean, I don't think it's just limited to the synth community. I think what you guys did score wise is a, is, is a huge, I mean, I think the score is a huge part of every, you know, movie and TV show, but you guys, there, there's, there's, there's a special magic that happened there with you guys. And Thank you. I think that's, that's rippled throughout like the lore of the show, even outside of synth community. Cool. Yeah. I Thank mean, you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I, I do feel like there was, um, I mean, I think there's all these people that I recognized before me that laid like the steps, um, you know, like Johnny Jewel helped work on drive and, um, there like Steve Moore was doing some pretty heavy synth scores. Uh, there were some records coming out of people that were doing, like Umberto was doing like 70s influenced, like like um, horror kind of score records. Mm-hmm. And um, so there were like all these people setting, uh, setting it up, Cliff Martinez. Yeah, um, yeah. And stuff. But then it wasn't really, though it was like the rare occasion that there's like an indie artsy project that had this type of music, right? Where it wasn't a big mainstream thing. So, yeah, I don't feel like uh, there was a lot of elect- even electronic music in the mainstream mm-hmm. um, predating Stranger Things. Now I'm feeling like with, all, with how many projects are going on in the digital streaming they're like finding and tapping all these artists for like interesting scores, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like maybe we, I don't know if we're the responsible, but maybe we helped show or like open people's eyes that you could probably just ask, like, you're like, I like this person's music. Maybe they can score. Yeah. 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 That's, I think that's what's so attractive about your guys' story is like, 
they were like they were a, like a they were a band, and they were that's was that was their thing. Like I was you know talking to my wife about this. There there are people going to college right now, their whole life they're devoting you know to, because they wanted to score the next big thing, and that's what they're doing. And it's like they might not get it, you know, <laughs> and it's like. And you know that's just the way the world works. It's 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 un, you know yeah. whether it's unfortunate or not. It's just I, I think, but like it's just kind of a it's it's a. I think another thing, maybe why I was attracted to it is like of our generation, you know, like the rock bands and everything. You know, you watch the behind the music, or so you read, you know, you hear the the lore behind the bands, and it's like it's always like these like underdog, you know, like rise out of nowhere <laughs> stories. And I feel like that doesn't really happen so much anymore. Cause, or maybe it does, but there's just so much noise because there's so much content out there. I think maybe that was like, it was cool to see that. It was cool to see that happen in a modern way. Like how this new landscape that has kind of ravaged what, what I've loved about, like what I thought the music scene was worldwide it was cool to see like, okay, there's new ways for those kind of cool stories to happen with this new technology or this connectivity we have. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's true. Yeah. And it, I just, uh, it's, it's funny to like people, people not like stranger thingsy is a verb. I feel like, or, or, you know, or not oh, a verb, yeah. like an adjective. People are like, Oh yeah, but you know, I, I made a track. How kind of had a stranger <laughs> thing? My wife and I go for a walk up on the neighborhood above us and we call it the stranger things neighborhood because it was, it just looks like all these eighties houses and stuff. So it's like, it's, I don't know. I'm just like, I got, it's gotta be interesting to be, be part of like this kind of like pop cultural phenomenon. And like you said, it must be, you kind of might be getting the best of both worlds, having that degree of anonymity behind it. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's definitely helped make like a, it's made, it's brought a lot of opportunities. I'm very thankful for, um, I just realized I'm also totally putting you on the spot and saying all this stuff like there's like <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, this was really awesome. And yeah, well, I'm like, <laughs> like, what are you supposed to say? Yeah, I'm pretty fucking sweet, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I'm not the best at that. <laughs> no, no, I, I think it's I think it's cool that you guys are. Um, it's very clear that you guys are very thankful of the the situation, you know, how it all worked out. And, um, and it's yeah, cool. I just want to keep making music and make some weird shit and also make some stuff that's not 80s sounding yeah although you know i would like i would love for the all like some more directors and stuff out there to see that our music can be set to other a lot of different uh genres that aren't 80s and that the music in stranger things itself is exploring a lot of tropes that i'm influenced by and kyle's influenced by that aren't actually um 80s yeah, I think a lot of maybe just the actual tones and timbres people attribute to the 80s, but it's maybe not actually the structure of of the song or whatever. Well, even even in the sounds, it's not usually like um it's not like high resonant like synth synthesizer sounds that often. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of chorus though. Lots of reverb, lots of delay, <laughs> lots of chorus. So so what, um, what do you, so what, like outside of that, what do you, what do you, what do you find yourself doing lately? Like, um, you know, creating for yourself, like how, how are you, I mean, I'm sure you, I, oh, I, I, it's clear you guys enjoy doing the stranger things, um, stuff, but like, we're trying to finish the, 
survive album uh-huh. we've except i'm i'm putting off mixing or producing like like pieces of songs mm-hmm. this time i don't i want to cohesively do it when all the songwriting's done so i've been going to austin and we did some trips where they came um here and i want to get the songwriting done before moving to like finishing the production and mixing the record but we're close um there's kind of always something going on i really haven't made music for myself in a couple since stranger things started mm. there's always been some project following the next um unless it's me like sitting down and playing the piano or just like messing around and sometimes i get to um as of recently with the quarantine i've been going back to like old recordings a bit mm-hmm. and like cataloging them and just figuring out like what i want to give away to like publishers to see if they can let some other artists finish it or do something to it if they get inspired or if I like it, I just got a bunch of folders for like prospective albums. Oh, cool! Like the Miami bass one. Yeah, yeah. I but really I've got, look forward so to that. <laughs> there's like so many records, and I'm like, I can't put my name on all these because it's so many different genres. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to strategize. At one point, I was like, I'm just gonna dump it all for free, and then my manager was like, Don't, don't do that. <laughs> I was like, I just don't want it anymore. Like, I just want to purge. Yeah. And like feel like i can record new music like where am i at today but i i feel a responsibility to finish all this yeah tons of ideas i started that i just never completed yeah well it sounds like i mean it's it sounds like kind of like a bit of a bummer that you're you aren't able to so much like focus on your personal stuff but it sounds like i hope that what you are keeping yourself busy with is still like pretty fulfilling for you I, I love scoring stuff. It gives you, like, it's a very, like, open and experimental process for a lot of, at least if we get to do, like, films. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, artsy stuff. Um, so that's always cool. Like, I love, ex- like, techniques, you know? Mm-hmm. So just, like, if one day I'm, like, recording, like, a gong through a series of effects <laughs> and then, like, processing that, running it through my modular, I'm like, this is cool. So... Yeah, so how much modular are you using? Um, I did, actually didn't even get to this uh, with Kyle. So, like, how much modular do you guys use in the scoring stuff? It comes really handy for certain things. I mean, obviously, if you want to design, a, you have a sound in mind that's very specific. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I use it less when the show is, like, rolling along and um, you're, like, you got to make two or three cues a day. Yeah. Uh, just cause you're like, you got to sit in this chair and you got to work fast. So it's like whatever you, you s- kind of surround yourself with a couple things. I wish my modular was closer in this studio, but, um, I, we use it quite a bit, especially for like rhythmic stuff, driving percussion stuff, just kind of tweaking and getting like variation for like action cues or I use it, f- I use it a lot, but I typically do it when I'm like exploring sound ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, that makes sense. More. It seems like it might not be. It's it's not a super efficient tool, but it's a very powerful tool. And I think if you don't have time to do, like for instance, I have like the Lyra Eight mm-hmm. back there. You know that thing? Yeah. The like drone mm-hmm. synth. I mean, at some point, I was like, you know, making these modular drones <laughs> and like then making them get real aggressive and like rise 
And when I played that thing, I was like, this thing does in 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> something similar to what I would spend an hour on my modular. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? So sometimes having tools around like that can be really inspiring uh, and fast yeah. and fast. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I was I had a I was borrowing this Nord Lead two from a friend, and since I got into modular, it just kind of sat in my room in its case, and I didn't touch it for years, like a cut like three years. And because she's she actually doesn't play, she just bought it when she was like a teenager, and then I just have been like the steward of her synth for years. And she she was like, hey, I'd, I'd like that back, and I was like, yeah, I'm not using it. And I thought, well, you know, I'm gonna break it out and play with it for a little bit before. I give it back and I, and I did. And this like, was the first time I'd messed with like a really nice synth since I got into modular. And I was mm -hmm. like, I understood it better. And I could, I was just like, holy shit, this is so much faster. And I sat for like six hours just recording all this stuff with it. And I'm like, I'm just going to use this later. But I was just having so much fun getting quick results that I forgot like, oh yeah, there's another way to do this. Like, yeah. <laughs> One thing I still love about repair is that I would get, all these like cheap or random synths just thrown in front of me that I'd forgotten about, like like the SY55 Yamahas, like the weird operator or rompler or like just things with like tons of banks of like like wave stations and things that yeah, I'd have to fix it and I'd play it and I'd be like, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> like I remember I, I fixed like a D550 and I was like, oh, I, w I want one of these. This is a weird sounding, so like vaporwave or something. But yeah, I just get to play and go through all these banks and just get inspired by sounds and. Yeah, that must have been a real double-edged sword, being able to like try everything. Like after you repaired it, like, oh, cool, I know what this does, but now I want like seven more synths. <laughs> yeah, I used to be behind this wall. It switched on, and Chad would play this game with me. We'd be like, Michael, what synth is this? And he'd like start playing it, <laughs> and I'd be like, um. And I like nine out of ten. I could I would, really I could guess what synth I was hearing. <laughs> he thought it was crazy. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, well, we're coming uh, we're coming in on an hour. Um, is there anything cool. that we haven't covered that you wanted to talk about? I really appreciate your time. No, I don't. I don't really have anything specific. I'm just gonna hang out and quarantine. Yeah, yeah. Work. How was that going Let's for see. you? It's I'm isolated all the time. Yeah. But <laughs> something feels different. Like I don't know. I was forcing myself to try to do like work at first and then I was like I'm just going to take it easy and then I, I did know. the same thing. I was, you know, cuz I I teach at a trade school at night. So I, I my my day starts at like 4:30 p.m. So I work on, you know, demos and videos and editing podcasts during the day. So I am home by myself with my synth all day usually. Anyways, the only difference now is I'm not going to teach a 4-hour class at night. So it's not that different. So I'm with you though. It it something does feel different. And I had the same thing. I'm like I'm going to get so much shit done. But I bought a Nintendo Switch and I'm just like Ooh. I've been doing that more. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, fig I, I think there's a lot of, um, I don't know, I, I kind of spin it like this. Never in our lives, maybe, probably, never in our lives will we have this opportunity where the most responsible thing to do is absolutely nothing. You know, like, I'm a really... Yeah. I'm a really social person. I love friends. I love doing stuff. But I'm also, like, if you if we have dinner plans and you 
text me like an hour and a half before and cancel, there's a little part of me that just like loves you even more. Like, I'm like, yes, <laughs> you know, like I get to stay, like, I don't know what that is. So like part well, of me is there's kind definitely, of <laughs> I've seen memes of that is that exact scenario. Oh, really? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, cool. Well, um, yeah, thanks again, dude. This has been a lot of fun. Awesome. Yeah. Totally. Um, thanks for having me on. I got, so I got this little patch challenge generator that somebody built for me. So let me pull it really? up. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it, um, let's see here. I got to go to, I should have had it open, but yeah, my, uh, one of my listeners, do you know Waveform magazine? Yes. Um, so Sam Chittenden helps Ellison and M out with that. He's, I think he's in Colorado. What's up, Sam? He made me this, uh, patch challenge generator. Nice. So I set a mood. Um, very cool. And there's a bunch of moods, but I'll just list off a couple. Um, Mysterious, you pick. Mysterious, hard, angry, peaceful. Do any of those stand out to you? Um. Well, I don't really want to do angry. <laughs> yeah, I don't really want to. I the show I get to make, or I would just send over something I already have. Uh-huh. But um, <laughs> I don't. I don't care. Peaceful or. Uh, I do mysterious all the time. Yeah, people always choose like mysterious. peaceful right now sounds great okay. because having a nice peaceful experience in quarantine sounds delightful. It's fun. Okay, so the first one that came up, it's not it actually doesn't sound peaceful. Courteous explosions. <laughs> oh, that's great. What is this? So I'm doing peaceful. Yeah, peaceful is the mood and then the prompt is courteous explosions. That's kind of an interesting little thing. This pairing, is though. crazy. So, yeah, so just like st- set a little alarm on your phone for 15 minutes and try to create some courteous explosions. And then, whatever you come up with <laughs> at the end, just record a couple minutes of it and, uh, and send it over. And I'll just lace it into okay. the episode. All right, let's check out Courteous Explosions by Michael Stein.
And that's our show. I want to thank Michael so much for coming on and for being so gracious and patient through my Stranger Things uh, barrage of questions. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a it was a really really cool chat. Um, don't forget about the sale over at patchworks.com. Thank you 2020 at checkout for 10% off most items. They just got restocked on uh, everything that they've been carrying so far. Uh, and they also got new products from a bunch of awesome manufacturers. Uh, curbside pickup from 12 to 6 just about every day except holidays. Um, yeah, so help help us keep our little uh, our hub here in Seattle, the hub of our scene, thriving. P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. I mentioned earlier earlier that Michael and I both have a Needham Woodworks case. Uh, do you have a Needham Woodworks case? He's making these really cool skiffs if you don't want the full huge thing. He's got these these cool skiffs that are... Uh, I've got my eye on them. Um, I don't think I need any more case though. Uh, also, I want to thank WMD for uh, sending me out this Metron. It's been so much fun to use. I want to give a shout out to All Right Devices, the Zorb filter, the videos coming soon, and the Generate 3 from your analog. Um, I, I kind of waited to do videos on them because the whole COVID-19 thing, so I'm going to get on that. Uh, get on the Discord, please. It's a lot of fun. Um, and also, I just want to give a shout out to SSF. I just got the Entity Percussion uh, Synthesizer module, and it is awesome. Um, I think other than that, that's about it. I got the new album, Stephanie Synthesizer, on Bandcamp. And also, uh, the files are in a Dropbox folder if you want to um, take them and rework them or collaborate, add to them or whatever. I would love to see what you do with them. Anyways, thanks for joining me, and until next week.